We like them too because they usually are not successful. Running from the authorities is one of those examples. And they get caught because they ought to be caught. I don't know what they're thinking, but they think they're going to get away with it. And then there's a guy like this. The police started chasing him. This is the video. I don't know if you saw this or not. And that's him in the car right there driving. And uh-oh, uh uh-oh, there he goes. That's, uh, <laughs> all right. Then he gets out, puts it in park, takes off, starts running. Look at him. could you possibly see, how could you work the pedals and then see over the dashboard? I was down like this, uh-huh. and then I would pop my head up. <laughs> and you, you weren't scared? I mean, did yeah. you almost hit things? Nope. You know, what's funny, the reason somebody called was he was driving down the road, and, uh, and he kind of swerved into the other lane and came back, and it happened to be the fire marshal coming home. And he just waves to the fire marshal as he's going by. How did you know to get out of the car and run like that? We'd like to know, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, we'd like to know. Like, didn't you think you should stay put or something when somebody's chasing you? No. Uh-uh. All right, so you got grounded, right? Yeah. And, and what else happened to you? No video games, no TV for... Ever. Forever. Young person out there, forever. Don't do that. But we all love a little bit of a chase. We love a little bit of an escape. There's all kinds of movies out there where the goal is escaping. We could see Jurassic Park, they're escaping. It just goes on and on and on. We love that. We're drawn into that. And if I can keep it just between us. The other day I was driving down, or it was like a month or so down in the Lodi, and I was going just a little bit too fast. And I got pulled over, and there was a split second where I said, I wonder how fast my car is. <laughs> I've got 354 horsepower in this thing. It's supercharged. It says they can go to zero to 60 in under five seconds. I wonder. And then... I didn't do anything, obviously. I wanted to tell you that's how I hurt my Achilles tendon. You know, I jumped out of the car. They tackled me, but that didn't happen. But anyway, but, you know, the idea of, again, escape stories. And this morning, we start to transition in the life of David. Uh, David has been chosen to be the next king. Saul is the king. And this begins a 13-year chase scene a 13-year escape scene. And when you and I think of the things that are going on in our life, when we think of the things that we want to escape, we want freedom from, we would like to be have it be a 13-minute thing, not 13 years. And there's some flexibility with that 13 years. It could be a little bit less or a little bit more. But, uh, you know, so when we look at David, David finds himself just stuck. He doesn't do anything wrong. He's actually done a lot good. And he finds himself running and running and running from the king. And in 1 Samuel 19 is where we start to see this uh, just unfold. We've seen some run-ins with Saul. 
Uh, if you want to look along in the, the Rack Bible, that's page 197. If you don't have a paper copy, we would love to have you take that as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Uh, if you're uh, online and don't have a copy of a Bible, a paper copy, and want one, reach out to the office and we'll see what we can do. Um, also, there are online apps, and we like the U version. It's free, has multiple translations, and it lets you have God's Word in your hand. So, Psalm 119, and if you'd notice that the title is called Dessert or, or De Desert, Desert or Dessert. And uh, I will unpack that a little bit longer into the sermon when we get there. So, Psalm, or Samuel, 1 Samuel 119, uh, beginning in verse 1. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Got to remember, this has all been behind the scenes. Saul had been trying to do this with the Philistines, do this by having David married off to a daughter one, daughter two, and it just doesn't seem to be happening. And uh, so he's going to stop uh, keeping this in the secret, keeping this just in his mind, in his heart. It is now out. And likewise, sometimes you and I have an issue with someone. It's all inside, but eventually it will get out. We ought to deal with it before it gets out. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David. Remember, he had given him some clothes, given him some robes and those kinds of things. In a sense, there's some symbolism there that Jonathan acknowledged that David would be the next king and Jonathan wouldn't. And that's a real big deal if you're the uh, crowned prince, if you're Jonathan, you're saying that's okay. And Jonathan, again, likes David and, and warned him, my father is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and tell him, tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has actually benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistines. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel. And you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong, some translations say sin, to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Remember, David is his son-in-law. Those of us who have son-in-laws, you may want to kill your son-in-law, but you're not supposed to do that. And Saul isn't either. Saul listened to Jonathan and looked th and took this oath. Again, Saul's word isn't much. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. Another success. And as David succeeds, that threatens Saul. Who in your life, when they succeed, threatens you? 
who in your life, when something good is happening, when there's a relationship, whatever it may be, and it's, it's proper, it's right, but it still threatens you. David was a threat to Saul, and we need to ask ourselves, where does that work in the back of our mind when we're not happy for someone else's success? That comes back to heart issues. But an evil spirit from the Lord came, we've talked about this a little bit, from Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hands while David was playing the lyre, playing the harp. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him. It's good that Saul wasn't a good shot. Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Saul went to, sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, Saul's daughter, warned him. If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Interesting. The man who takes out Goliath, the man who is the winning general, captain, whatever you want to call it, is now having to scoot out a window that his wife lets him down covering it with a garment at some okay then michael took an idol and laid it on the bed covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair on hair at the head when saul's when saul sent the men to capture david michael said he is ill then saul sent the men back to see david and told them bring him up to me in his bed so that i may kill him interesting saul wants to do this himself well when the men entered there was the idol in bed and at the head was some goat hair Saul said to Michael why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped Michael told him he said to me let me get away why should I kill you when David had fled and made his escape he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all Saul had done to him then he and Samuel went to Naioth and stayed there. Word came to Saul, David is at Naioth, at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. And that may seem like, wow, what is going on there? At the most basic level, what happens is the men are so caught up with the worship of God that they just join right in, and they're captivated by that. And so we see that with Saul's party of men coming to get David. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Poor Saul, he must be pretty frustrated. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naioth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naioth at Ramah. But the spirit of the God came upon him and he walked along prophesying until he came 
Netanyahu. He stripped off his garments. He too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He laid naked all that day and all that night. This is why people say, is Saul among the prophets? Very interesting what's going on here. Saul is one frustrated murderer. Just can't happen. Just won't happen. But David will feel like he's been deserted by God time and time because of these 13 years. He went through and read through some of the Psalms. You'd see his heart. Why are my enemies chasing me? Why are they getting me? Why are they? Uh, I think it's Psalm 59 in your notes uh, is uh, a psalm that uh, he wrote in this time period when um, Saul came to, Saul's men came to get him. Um, this is going to be a hard time for him. And what you and I can get out of this, and we sang a song that, uh, you know, our, our God's love defends us. And that's just not a song, but that's a reality. God's love defends you and me. And we're going to see how that moves along. I love this quote, and I don't like this quote. This is it. Sometimes the clearest evidence that God has not deserted you is not that you're successfully past your trial, but that you are still on your feet in the middle of it. Let that sink in. Sometimes the clearest evidence that God has not deserted you is that you are, not, you are successfully past your trial, but you are still on your feet in the middle of it. That actually gives me hope. When you're standing, when you're still vertical, um, Abby Lynn, every time I'll say, hey, how you doing? She goes, oh, still vertical. That's a good thing. Likewise, when you're still vertical and you're going through some trial, that is clear evidence that God has not left you, even in the middle of it. That may not be the answer you want. Well, that certainly is not the answer you want. You want to be on the other side of it. So, do you feel deserted in the desert? David spends a lot of time in the desert, in the wilderness. And again, he is going to be there for at least 13 years with Saul always nipping at his heels. He's left his home. He's left his family. He is considered a rebel. His life will cause the ending of other lives. He's in a real bad place. So when you and I feel like we're deserted in the desert, how do we stand? How do we stand in the middle of it? And there's four things we can see out of this passage. First of all, it's possible to stand with a friend. David has Jonathan. Cares for him deeply, loves him deeply. We hear later on that relationship is so tight. And some liberal folks, some folks that uh, really don't understand, actually says it's too tight, that there's an improper relationship between David and Jonathan. I absolutely disbelieve that. I don't believe that at all. I think it's a group of folks trying to make an excuse for a lifestyle. 
And if David and Jonathan can have that relationship, then I too. So I don't think that's accurate. But he's possible to stand. And you've got to also remember, Jonathan has everything to lose. Everything to lose. Just think if you, your family owned a big business and you were the one to be the next one to lead it and run it. And then there was somebody else that had talent and you didn't feel threatened by it. You actually were encouraged by it. And as time went on, the board of directors decided that it would be best for him to lead the company and you not run the company. There, there are... There are legal wars that go on when those things kind of happen. Jonathan fully embraces it. And Jonathan's no whip. You remember earlier on, he, he takes out a ton of Philistines when nobody's moving. He and his cupbearer, he and his, his, his armor carrier, they go up and they dispatch, I love that word, dispatch all these Philistines. And it changes the tide. Saul takes credit for it, but it was Jonathan that did that. So this is not a guy who doesn't have any leadership capabilities. A friend. And this is not to make you feel sorrowful or hurt. It's to motivate you. Do you have friends that stand with you so you can stand? Are you seeking them out? Do you spend as much energy on them as you seek out other things? Seek out a new job. Seek out whatever it is, uh, a new vehicle, uh, uh, a new whatever. You spend all this time trying to figure it out, all this time uh, you know, trying to keep your lawn looking like a golf course. Whatever it is, flowers, whatever. You spend all the time, but do you spend even a fraction of that time seeking out a friend? Have you been burned so you just don't do it? I don't know. But if you want to stand in the desert, friend makes that possible. There aren't lots of friends like Jonathan. I have a couple of them. Not a million, not even half a dozen. I have a few. And they're willing to say things that I don't always want to hear and I most of the time don't run from what they say. You want to stand in the desert? You don't want to be deserted? Then look for a friend. And I'm going to tell you, th this friend needs to be a friend that loves Jesus. Loves Jesus deeply. Not that you can't have a friend that is not really interested in spiritual things, but you need to have a friend that loves Jesus because they're going to be rowing in the same direction. They're hopefully aligned with walking with God, so they're going to help keep you aligned and vice versa. It's great to have a, a childhood friend that maybe you've known for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, but they don't know Jesus, but you're still just, you do anything for each other. That's wonderful, but you need a Christ follower friend at this level. I could go through verses in Ecclesiastes. You've all heard them before. You get the idea. There's plenty in Scripture talking about friends. Also, also, standing with a spouse. Folks, if you're not married, you need to find a spouse, if you're looking, <laughs> that loves Jesus. 
tell you, I, I can't tell you how important that is. That loves Jesus. Not just goes to church, not just even reads their Bible on a regular basis. You need to find one that is going to love Jesus. So, so important. I've told you before, um, dated in high school and all those kinds of things. Had a few girlfriends. They all went to church. I don't know how much they loved Jesus because that really wasn't on my radar. I was more concerned about how they looked. Being honest with you. And it wasn't until I discovered camp in a girl that loved Jesus, looked pretty good to me. And then in that moment, I didn't realize it. But now, even a few years after we got married, I realized that is the thing that sealed the deal. She loved Jesus more than me. And when I was out of line, believe it or not, that's only happened twice. But when I was out of line those two times, she said something to me. Even when I'm not out of line, she says stuff to me. But anyway, that's for another. Because she's, oh, she's out in the commons with our grandson. So I can say these things without being scared to. But anyway, find that person. I beg you to find that person. Wait for that person. And I've seen people that have waited. And eventually, sometimes, a lot of times, they find that person. And it changes everything waiting for that person. So it's so, so, so important. Now, some of you may say, what if, you, what if I'm, in a sense, uh, stuck? What if I'm uh, stuck in, in this kind of situation? I could tell you story after story after story. You could give me a story that's horrible. This is what my spouse did to me. This is what's happening in our relationship. And I'm not talking abuse. That's a different story. That's a different situation. Uh, run for that, and we will support you totally. Okay? Just going to say that. But disagreeing, just, uh, you know, but they become huge. I can tell you story after story. I can tell you stories where, where spouses have been unfaithful for years to each other. And then when both spouses... One couple divorced, remarried. I shared his story a little bit in the last two years. Uh, they were divorced for seven years, and now they've been married, remarried for like 20-something. It is possible. So you can't tell me a story when abuse is not involved where I could say that it doesn't work. I can, I can top your story. I, can, I know I can. Just like when I'm feeling low and feel a little beat up, I'm, I, I can find somebody who's been a little more beat up with me. So, you know, there's always someone in a worse situation. So, so, yes, you may feel like you're stuck in the mud, but you can get out of it when both want to move in that direction. So, so don't feel that way. Now, there's also another situation that goes on here is that uh, Michael is pretty deceiving. I mean, she, she, she's deceiving uh, her father, uh, and she's deceiving with this with this idle head and this goat tear and all this kind of thing. And uh, just to wake up some of you, I couldn't help but think of this story.
those teenage boys that I was one of them when that movie came out, that gave us hope of just getting one more over on the parents. Don't do that. That would never work. I don't think so. I have to go up to different stories now. But uh, so, so this idea of the spouse having an idol, it shows that even in that household, things, things were not good. Even in David's household, uh, he was good, but why is there an idol in there? And we can fixate on that, get a little bit talking about that, thinking about that way too much or a lot. But the application for that is, what idols are in our house? They may not be a figurine, but they're an idol. Idol is something that has our attention and has captivated us more than God. What are those things? It could be people. It can be stuff. It can be our positions. What idols have we allowed in our house? You know, we're very quick to say, oh, Michael and David had an idol in their house. What is going on there? But you and I can do the same thing. And as we've talked about it before, very, it's very easy, easily to have a something good that comes into our life, a person that comes into our life, and then there's this, this tipping point where all of a sudden we start valuating or valuing that person or that thing or that item or that whatever more than God. So it's tough. Sometimes I pray to God, uh, why, why is there this tension in my life, Lord? You bring good things into my life, and then I catch myself valuing them more than you but i want them lord so don't take them away just help me to have you captivating my heart not these other things why do you make us human so these things even don't, we're really even interested in these things and because uh, he wants us to experience life fully but he wants to be the one that we're in awe of the one that uh, we're, we're captivated by we also have this lying in this situation. Uh, we have, uh, you know, this again, this whole idea of lying. And I'm just going to read this. I thought this was a great quote from Gut Questions. And, it, you know, because he, he uh, you know, we can think about Rahab. You remember Rahab when Jericho fell down? There was lying going on there. We can think of Moses. Remember when uh, the midwives were supposed to kill the little baby boys? And they, they said, no, they, the Israel women just have babies too quick. We don't get there enough time. Well, th those were lies. So listen to this. In an instance such as this, where lying may be the only possible way to prevent a horrible evil, perhaps lying would be ac an acceptable thing to do. Such an insight would, instance would be somewhat similar to the lies of the Hebrew midwives and Rahab. In an evil world, in a desperate situation, it might be the right thing to commit a lesser evil, lying in order to prevent a much greater evil. Now you're going, okay, great, I get a pass on this. Listen to the next paragraph. However, it must be noted that such instances are extremely rare. It is highly likely that the vast majority of people in human history have never faced a situation in where lying was the right thing to do. So just think about that a little bit. You hear Corey Ten Boone and, and when they were seeking you know, Jewish people and, and they were hiding them in their, in their house and, and would it be okay for her to, to lie and say, no, there are no Jews here. I think that's a lesser evil. But most of us, like 99.9% .9 of us, will 
hopefully never be in that kind of situation. In war, there's a lot of deception and misleading, and that, that's completely different than what we're talking about here. So it's possible to stand when you have a friend, a friend like Jonathan. It's possible to stand when you have a, a spouse that loves Jesus as much as you, if not more than you. It's also possible to stand with a mentor. David runs to Saul. He is a mentor. Someone who's farther down the road than he is. Someone that has a spiritual insight that, that he doesn't have. So he goes to Ramah to find Samuel. Tells everything to Samuel and Samuel is his support. Question is, do you have a mentor? I know when I was uh, getting ready to turn 45, I looked at five or six areas in my life, and I found five or six people that were examples of those areas. Because quite frankly, I couldn't find one that had all five or six, because none of us are perfect. And I looked at them, they were like five or ten years headed down the road, and I tried to figure out what they were doing in their life to have those things happen. Like, for example, in our life, I, I wanted to raise daughters that wanted to come home. So when they didn't have to come home, they would want to come home. And so far, they still want to come home. Sarah and I are having a little bit of issue about giving River sips of Starbucks coffee. She thinks that's poison. I think a drop in his mouth doesn't hurt anything. Actually, actually will help him grow to a strong, healthy young man. But she disagrees with that, so I need to be careful or I will be off the visiting list. Or at least I won't be able to drink coffee in his presence. But for that, but for that, you know, who knows? So I found a person like that. Found a person that spiritually was definitely way ahead of me. Found someone that had a relationship with their spouse that I wanted for Cindy and I. I found someone who was much more physically fit than me. That's my area I'm not as feeding in. And he's 10 years older than me and still rides his bike in races. He actually, his daughter brought him to the Tour de France this past year, and he got to ride some of the Tour de France. And he's, he's uh, 70, so he's... 12 years older than me, and he's, so I, Jerry, and Jerry, if you're watching, thank you. So he, he is a model in that area, and so those are mentors. We also can have mentors that aren't alive. Uh, our men's group are reading a book about John Newton, and John Newton has been dead for at least a couple years. He's the one who wrote Amazing Grace. He is going to be mentoring us. Some of the ladies are reading a book as a community group on C.S. Lewis. He wrote it, and you get a heart of him. He is a mentor. Community Bible study, I believe, is doing First and Second Samuel and Ephesians. And, and, and all those characters will mentor those ladies and the co-ed groups, and Paul will mentor them through Ephesians. Uh, we have something called Right Now Media. There's plenty of mentors there. If you can't find a mentor, you can find one. 
I remember when I was going to be working with Gordon McDonald, and he has like 30, 40, 50 books. I knew I was going to be working with him, and I bought six or seven of his books and read all those books. So I knew, just got a glimpse of who he is, what he's like, so I could know who he is. So before he got there, it's funny, when you write a book, you don't remember everything in it, because I'd ask him questions about his books. He's like, I don't remember that in my book. But, so it's not as big a deal to them, but it was a big deal to me. But, uh, y you know, uh, find a mentor. Also, it's possible to stand with your Lord. Not common, not often, but there will be times in your life where the friend can't help you stand, even your spouse can't help you stand, even if you have a great relationship with her or him. Your mentor can ha can't help you stand. The Lord alone helps you stand. Now, that cannot be an excuse not to have a friend, have a spouse that can, you can stand with or a mentor. So, so don't, oh, well, just, it's just me and the Lord. Don't, don't, don't do that. But it's possible to stand. And, and you're going to see a story where all David's closest friends, he loses a battle, everything's gone, and they all think about taking him out for a split second. And he strengthens himself in the presence of the Lord. So there are moments where that happens. So we see this all through David's story, that David is standing because the Lord is standing with him. This isn't in your notes, but many of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I've got it out of the TPT version. I like the way the nuances uh, he uses or they use. We all experience times of testing. Other translations say temptation, which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. He will screen out and filter severity, the nature and the timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. That's standing up in it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. And that should be considered an opportunity that should be a delight i get to trust god more i get to see him show up more in my life for along with every trial god has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously and if we were to read about the martyrs you say those guys paid it all they didn't escape yes they would come back and say they escaped victoriously because they held their faith and died for their faith. They would celebrate that. I mean, that's so foreign to us. I, I can't even imagine that I would, I hope I would be willing to die for my faith, but honestly, unless I was put in a situation where I had to choose, I can't say for sure, and neither can you. But I would hope that would be the case. But God provides escape. David escapes by the skin of his teeth. For the next 13 years, that is his life. 
So when we're trying to put all this together, we're reading, we read the prophesying piece, and we could talk about that, and what's that, you know, does that mean they were like giving new revelation? I would say no. What were they doing? They were, they were just speaking glories about the Lord. Were they using a regular language? Are they using some heavenly language? I would say regular language. Some would say heavenly language, but it really, it's just, it's, it, that's not, you can, get, you can get caught in the weeds and miss the message. The idea is that God was working and provided a way out for David. I love this quote. It's not in your notes. Another one I shared every once in a while. A.W. Tozer says this. An infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. He does not distribute himself that each may have a part, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no other. Sarah's expecting another baby in April. This is going to be a busy year for us. Two weddings and a, another grandson. Ira Michael is going to be his name. And I've talked to co other grandparents, and I go, I love River so much. How can you love more than one? How can you do that? And some of you have like a thousand grandchildren. But anyway, how do you, how do, you do that? And everyone's reassured me that I will love each of them equally and uniquely, and we, I, it will not be a hard thing to do. Hopefully, we won't have a thousand grandchildren. I don't think we will, so it won't be as effortful as that. But God can love all of us equally. He doesn't have an hour this afternoon, and he can only give to one person. He can give himself equally to each person. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, that is a beautiful thing. So with all of this, let not search for David's experiences. Let's search for his God. See the difference? You can go through scripture and you can see all these miraculous things. And I think God can work that way. But God's going to work his way with you uniquely. So don't search for the goodies. Don't search for the benefits. Search for God. Hunger for God. Seek him out. And all that other stuff, what is the verse? Seek first the kingdom of God. All that other stuff will be added unto you in the right way, in the right time for you. Not for your friend, not for your other person, for you. And he will show up as you need him to show up, not as you think he needs to show up or how you've seen him show up in somebody else's life and think you're getting slighted. I mean, if you look at the Bible, I mean, there, there are some amazing things that happen. And yes, a lot of the, all of it's possible, but, but he's going to show up differently in your life. So don't search for David's experiences. Don't think you're going to come into the office one day and everyone's going to be out to get you and then all of a sudden everybody's going to start prophesying and you can get away. That's probably not going to happen for you. But the same God that can protect you the way he protected David can protect you. Fantastic. Paul experienced this time where it was just him and the Lord. 2 Timothy 4.16 said, At first, there was no one I could count on to faithfully stand with me. They all ran off and abandoned me. But don't hold this against them. First of all, that's amazing. 
could have trouble not holding it against them, wouldn't you? If your buddies ran off from you, if they ignored you, if they turned their back in your time of need, Paul says, don't worry about it. The Lord was with me. He stood with me. I could do it because of that. For in spite of this, the, my Lord himself stood with me, empowering me to complete my ministry. Not complete what I wanted to do, keep me comfortable. No, complete my ministry. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone has a ministry. Everyone has the ministry of telling the good news. We all tell it differently everywhere. He wanted all those who are not Jews, if you know the history, there was this whole issue between everyone who was a Jew and not a Jew and, and had to sort that out, who are not Jews to hear the good news that Jesus gave his life for us, rose again, so we could have a relationship with God because of the forgiveness of sins. So I was saved from the lion's mouth this time. Eventually, Paul is martyred. And again, I I don't want to necessarily speak for Paul on this, but I kind of get a glimpse of his heart. You get a glimpse of his heart. If he could come back right now and say, was it worth it to be martyred, he would say yes. He would still hold on to 2 Timothy 4.17. He wouldn't say, you know, I'm going to take that section out of my letter to Timothy because it really, <laughs> you know, it didn't work for me. No, I got, I got martyred. The Lord will save me when anyone tries to hurt me. May all the glory that means recognizing God, may people recognize God in all of this, go to him, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit alone, for all the ages of eternity. And I think that last line, it, it would be Paul's first line to us. As long as the glory is going to God, I'm good with it. So, do you see a desert or a dessert? A desert can be something good and tasty, a dessert, when you add that little F. And I would say add the Savior to any desert, and it becomes a dessert. There have been meals that I have eaten, especially as a kid, because now I don't have to eat them, but there's been meals I've eaten that I did not want to eat. Brussels sprouts, a no thank you helping of something called kohlrabi, turnip, and even sweet potatoes and beef because I knew dessert was coming. Dessert is coming. And I can get through it because of dessert. Add an S to whatever desert you are in, as in the Savior, and watch it turn into a dessert. And David, who suffers much more than any of us will ever suffer, says that. In his psalm, Psalm 59, this is written for this situation for the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time Saul sent soldiers to watch David's house in order to kill him. Do Two to be sung to the tune, do not destroy. That was a very famous top ten tune back in David's day. Uh, something like uh, the Beach Boy. I don't know what it was. But anyway, but this is what he wrote this for. So I'm just going to give you in your, in your message-based community groups or if you're studying on your own, uh, I would challenge you to read Psalm 59, the whole psalm. 
but let me just give you a little piece of it that starts off with, God, save me from my enemies. Protect me from those who stand against me. This is the king. The king has put a contract out on David. This would be like the president putting a contract out on you. You think you're going to get away? You think God's going to protect you from your enemy? You think there's any place you can hide? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's some people that have escaped from prison recently, and eventually they do catch them. They do catch them. Getting out of your car when the cops are chasing you and running somewhere, running up on a van, running up a hill, usually doesn't get you away from them. But David is, is counting on God protecting him. And he's living it. This isn't a fictitious character in a, in a you know, smash him up, blow him up movie like I kind of like to watch, like a Die Hard Christmas movie or whatever. This is not that kind of thing. This is real. Ends some of it this way. But I will sing about your strength. I will rejoice in your love every morning. Means it's going to be morning. He, remember, he takes off in the night, wakes up the next morning. He's still alive. You have been my place of safety, the place I can run to you when trouble comes. This, this, this doesn't mean he's like, you know, running into a church. This means he's going into God's presence. That's where he runs. He's not going to like a room and there's God and he's like with God. No, he, he's running to him. And he's in his presence. You and I can do the same thing. Actually, we have a little more going for us because we have the Holy Spirit where we say yes. So I will sing praises to you, my source of strength. You, God, you God are my place of safety. You are the God who loves me. Add a little line in here. I've got it made. <laughs> Even when I'm in the desert. So David, quickly. David should clearly see the dessert in his desert. The good time how God has provided for him. This should lead to remembrance and worship. David looks back, sees what God's done, and he worships. He worships in his lifestyle. Worship means to ascribe worth to something, so you ascribe worth to God. So that means when you have a moment, a decision, and you know what God would have you do, you do what God would have you do. That's worship. Singing is worship, but that's the icing on the cake. If you just eat icing, you will get sick. I know that for sure. Try it this afternoon. I'll buy a can of icing for you if you want to find that out. Worship, singing is the icing. So David has a response to this. He remembers, you see Psalm 59, and he worships. And that worship carries him into other decisions. Romans uh, 12.1, a, a verse that talks about this. So I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of, your, of the great mercy of God who has shown us, offer yourselves or lives as living sacrifice to him, an offering that is only for God and pleasing to him. Consider what he's done. It's the only right thing you should worship him in this way. And the worship, yes, Sunday morning, yes, singing together, but it's in your lifestyle. That's just the thing we ought to do. We ought to do that just for our salvation, but we ought to do that for God's daily presence and the way he shows up in our life. 
Saul had an opportunity. Jonathan spelled things out very clearly. He made a solemn promise, but it was all on the outside. Saul should clearly have seen the desert in his desert. He thought the greatest thing would be to kill Saul and it was, I mean, David, and it obviously wasn't the right thing. He is living in a desert. His dessert does not taste good. Cindy has tried to pawn off me on some desserts that have no fat, no sugar, no whatever, no gluten on them. And I'm sorry if you can't eat gluten or dairy. I, I, I feel for you. That is the stuff that should sometimes, it's just not tasty. There's desert in my dessert. But saying that means there probably won't be any dessert for a while. So, but anyway, Saul should have seen it. Saul's not a happy man. His life stinks, really. This should have been led him to repentance and worship. If there is desert in your dessert, repent. Repent. Repent means changing your mind about the sin that you're participating in, that you're allowing. Repent. Make a course correction. Doesn't need a lot of tears. Doesn't need a lot of, ooh, you know, it just needs repentance. It needs a change. And then worship. Because then you start making your decisions that ascribe worth to God. Saul was not doing that. It's easy to pick on Saul for not doing that. We do the same thing. Another way to say Romans 12.1 out of the message paraphrase. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, and place it before God as an offering. That's worship. Embracing what God does for you, God in your life, is the best thing you can do for him. Just be all in in your faith. He loves that. He celebrates that. He is happy when you and I do that. So, a desert or a desert can be desert when you are not alone. Do you have a friend? What about your spouse? What kind of direction are you moving to? What about a mentor? What about God himself? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. We thank you for how it speaks to all of our hearts, whether we're a convinced Christ follower, there is plenty in this for us. Whether we're just kicking the tires of faith, there's plenty in this for us. I pray the person that's kicking the tires of faith, that they would see that they don't have to be alone from you. They can say yes to you. They can place their trust in you. For those of us who have said yes to you, would we ascribe how much we value you through our worship, through the way we live our ordinary lives? We ask this in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. And online, uh, Paul and Sue Rukoff will be